We all get older. It's just a part of life. By the year 2030, every baby boomer will be at least 65 years old. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. Coming up on this morning's show, who are the city's senior citizens? What matters to them? And what's being done to make sure their housing, transportation, and other needs are met? Glad you're with us for Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. New York City's population is getting bigger and grayer. In the year 2000, the number of New Yorkers over age 65 stood at around 940,000, but it's expected to jump to more than 1.3 million in the next 23 years. The question is, is New York City prepared for its aging population? I sat down with Bobby Sackman to get some answers. She's with the Council of Senior Centers and Services of New York City. Bobby, how fast is New York City's senior population growing? Well, what's happening is that the senior population in New York City is growing in numbers. It's also growing in diversity. And we're seeing the, the biggest growth is in the 85-plus population. It's now the fastest-growing segment of New York City's population. Put a face, despite an age, on New York City's senior population. Who are these folks? We're getting more diverse. So really, a typical senior these days could be an African-American elderly woman, a Latino elderly woman, an Asian elderly woman from China or Korea. The diversity you see in the younger population is reflected in the older population. We have a growing poverty um, percentage here in New York City. Unfortunately, we have twice the poverty rate among the elderly than you find nationally. It's about 20% now. One out of five people are living below with below $10,000 a year, and I don't know how you do that in New York City. What are the major issues that need to be addressed? I think the major issues that need to be addressed are how do we keep people in the community? How do we keep them in their homes? People don't want to go into a nursing home. Their families don't want them to go into nursing homes unless that's where they need to be, and then obviously we need to have good nursing homes. So what we're saying is take some of the Medicaid dollars, do an upfront investment in these community-based programs, which will be much less money than paying for a nursing home or a longer hospital stay. And I, I would say that while there's great things happening all over the country in the aging field, New York City probably has the richest set of community-based services because the only way you can survive in this city, it's just too big to put your arms around, is to look at what's going on in neighborhoods. We have to remain committed to neighborhood-based services. How do we get people just to pay more attention to their senior neighbors? We've had a couple of stories in the news recently where people have died, and unfortunately, they stayed in their homes that way for a year, for a few months. I think there are efforts being made. The Department for the Aging is training doormen. I know there's a program that's going to be going on training postal workers, so you know we have sort of eyes and ears in that way. In terms of your elderly neighbors, I would say it's you know just to keep an eye. I mean, you know, to see what's going on with your neighbor. Is that elderly woman you used to see in the elevator not, you know, are you not seeing her anymore? Can you knock on her door? Is it safe for seniors to walk the streets of New York City? We've had the case just the other day of a centenarian mugged as well as another elderly person in Queens. I think actually the streets are somewhat safer, you know, because crime is down, and we have to agree on that. Having said that, I think that the elderly always feel more vulnerable. So in some ways, there's a reality of 
you know, are they more vulnerable to crime like muggings, but what is their perception? And in their perception, and, and obviously hearing a story like that, they're going to get more scared, and they're going to stay in their apartments, not go out, you know, at night, and that kind of stuff. And to some degree, I'm not sure how you over, overcome that totally, but um, I think, again, if you've got services, if you have people that are paying attention to older people, if you've got a commercial strip in their neighborhood that's busy, you know, so people feel a part and not of something and not isolated, that this all helps to add to safety, to, to feeling safe. What would you say are the major benefits of growing old in New York City? That's a good question, too, why people should grow old here. Well, first of all, because it is easier to get around. If you live in other places, there's nothing. There's simply nothing. So, yes, you can get around, and and that makes a big difference. You can often walk to the stores that you need, which doesn't always exist. So you're not dependent on a car, um, which most of the country is. There's so much to do here. Now, obviously, as I mentioned, we have a lot of poor seniors, so they're not running and spending money on Broadway tickets. But there's, such, there's a lot of local culture, and if you can't afford more, there's obviously all the culture of New York City. There are educational opportunities here. And, yes, there's a very rich set of community-based services. You can go to local programs and get educational opportunities there, meet other people. So there's a lot to do here, a lot of reason and ways of getting out of the house Um, and while we still have a problem of of isolation among seniors because there's just a lot of people out there, um, I I think there are a tremendous amount of opportunities for people to be involved in whatever interests them. Bobby Sackman, thanks so much for taking the time. You're welcome. Bobby Sackman is with the Council of Senior Centers and Services of New York City. It's not cheap to live in New York City, especially for senior citizens on fixed incomes. That's why a free home-sharing service is matching up senior citizens with younger New Yorkers. I recently visited the home of an elderly Bronx woman and her 30-something roommate. My name is Eden Emily. I live in the Fordham area of the Bronx, and I'm 76 years old. My name is Lauren Seiler, and I'm 34 years old, and I live in the Fordham section of the Bronx. I needed help paying some of my bills. I had rooms for rent, and there was an advertisement in the senior center that I attended. I took the number, and I called the office, and from there on, we're here. I needed a place. I have cerebral palsy. A lot of people with disabilities sometimes have problems finding places to live. And you know how New York rents are sometimes. So, I'm here. He's not a problem to me. He's very quiet. Ina and I, we have conversations from time to time, and I enjoy... Sometimes the stories that she tells and just a loving person just to uh, have a conversation with. I'm into gardening because a lot of young people don't want to be bothered with gardens and listen to old people telling you of their experience, what they do and what they don't do, but he listens. I like country music. I like Bob Dylan. I love Paul McCartney, that kind of thing. I love to play my own music from Jamaica, which is interested in learning some patois from me. I say some things to him, he might not understand what I'm saying, but I do love to listen to my Jamaica music. Personally, renting a room sometimes is better than having a regular apartment where you have more responsibilities, more furniture to move and more things to do and more bills to pay. 
when I was thinking of renting them, one of my concerns was just picking up someone off the street, which I didn't want to do, not knowing who they are, where they're coming from, and things like that, because I've seen it happen to a lot of persons. But with them, they screen the prospective guests before they send them to you, and so far it's working out very good. 76-year-old Ina Nemley and 34-year-old Larry Seiler are sharing a home in the Bronx. The New York Foundation for Senior Citizens matched them up. You can learn more about the free home sharing service online at nyfsc.org. For many seniors, the retirement years give them a chance to travel, volunteer, or spend time with family. But for some New Yorkers, retirement means going back to school. We recently spent a morning attending classes and speaking with students at the New School's Institute for Retired Professionals. I'm Michael Markowitz, and I'm director of the Institute for Retired Professionals at the New School. The Institute is a 44-year-old program, which was the first program to welcome older people back to campus. Students come voluntarily, not for degrees, not for credit, but they come because there's a passion to learn. There's a feeling that there's something left unfinished in them. And they come back and they work here to study topics that fascinate them, and they themselves develop the curriculum and the uh, courses and lead the study groups themselves. My name's Jerry Spivak, and uh, I, my cousin was uh, part of this program, uh, so I heard about it from him. Uh, my, my definition of a young person has always been uh, anyone who's still excited and interested in things. And uh, usually those are the types of people that would be attracted to a program like this. So I think what really is going on is that a lot of the people uh, have had meaningful uh, professions, meaningful kinds of things in the past, and uh, then at a certain point, because of retirement, a lot of these people have energies that they'd like to pour into something. And this particular group uh, is interested in keeping uh, their mind operating, uh, reading still, uh, discussing still. So that's what it allows them to do. Ordinarily, they would have been pouring that kind of energy into possibly their professions. When someone comes here, they may not think that I'm going to spend the summer, a hundred hours this summer, organizing a philosophy class. But they do it because it offers them an opportunity to prove to themselves they can do it. When people leave work, they lose both the rewards that come from doing a job well done, from putting together a team, from arranging a, a marketing uh, survey. They lose that. And there's very few things, very few things in our society which replaces that. They also lose the, the joy that comes from associating with other people. I call it replacing the water cooler. Though we have all these varied backgrounds and academic backgrounds and very uh, successful backgrounds, when you're in the cafe, that isn't necessarily what you talk about. You bring it down to kind of, you know, a personal level between you and me, your, sometimes your grandchildren, your children, things like that. My name is Lillian Rivara and I have been coming to the IRP for about six years. I needed something to focus me and something to grab my mind, which is why most people come to the IRP. At the time a person retires, 
he or she probably has more options than he has had in the past or he or she will have in the future. This is a time when we encourage them to build a retirement, to find the things that is important for them, whether it's spirituality, whether it's exercise, whether it's hiking, whether it's painting, but it's really the beginning of a search. My name is Frank Ashton and I'm from New York. I've been coming to IRP for two years. One of the things I like about IRP is that people are very respectful of each other's point of view. And um, no one is bashful about uh, voicing their point of view. In fact, it's encouraged and expected. There comes a moment when a student says, I know what I feel, but I really want to learn how a decent, smart, intelligent, motivated adult like me can have completely different opinions than me. People are willing to invest a lot of time. This is, the IRP is not like a one-shot, let's go to a lecture at a university and hear about something. People are invested in the course that they're taking, and it requires preparation, and people in these programs have made the commitment to do the homework, if you will, and participate. When people of 60, 70, 80, and even 90 come back to school, they bring with them a broad awareness. When a person at the IRP talks about history, they frequently have lived it themselves. I have a woman here whose first job out of law school, where she spent months finding a job, was working for the Senator Harry Truman who went on to become president. I have another woman here who remembers uh, talking to Eleanor Roosevelt uh, when she was working in Washington. The person who's successful at aging is someone who has built a meaningful retirement. And many of us feel that a meaningful retirement has to include learning. That's Michael Markowitz. He's the director of the New School's Institute for Retired Professionals. Interested in the program? Visit irp.newschool.edu. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Bodarki. Next, we'll spend some time with a unique organization that looks to meet the needs of aging gays and lesbians. SAGE, or Senior Action in a Gay Environment, provides services for New Yorkers who may otherwise have a hard time finding a support system. In addition to education and advocacy, SAGE also facilitates social events, including monthly visits to famous New York landmarks. Recently, a group of 25 SAGE members took a tour of Radio City Music Hall. Producer Jody Avergan tagged along for the tour, then spoke with some members over lunch at Rockefeller Center. My name is Donald Shackett. I'm from Hoboken, uh, and uh, I've been a member of SAGE for uh, about 10 years now. SAGE basically is an organization uh, that provides social services for gay, and lesbian, and uh, transgendered uh, elder people. Uh, we also offer lots of programs for them. We have such things as a, a theater desk where they can get discount theater tickets. We have uh, a drop-in room where people can come every day and meet friends and have coffee. My name is Robert Downing, and I'm from Manhattan, and I've been a member of SAGE for four years now. 
I am also a volunteer with the Friendly Visitors. So I visit two different people each week for a couple of hours that are, sh are gay and less gay uh, shut-ins that can't get out. And I help the one gentleman in his wheelchair to go do his shopping, and another one we work on his computer. Many times gay and lesbian people feel more isolated because they maybe don't want to tell their social worker that they're gay or, or they feel that they'd be discriminated against, particularly elderly people that lived in a time that there was more discrimination, so they're, they're very uh, much attuned to that. So providing service for them is something that SAGE really does very well. Also, I think a lot of uh, gays and lesbians may also have the fear of having to go into a nursing home where uh, the people are not trained to deal, you know, with uh, people who, quote, have not lived a straight life, and uh, they may face discrimination there. And their gays and lesbians are also more likely to be living alone later in life. They, they most do not have children. Some have uh, been abandoned by their families, and, uh, and, and many others have moved from other parts of the country here so that their families are quite a distance away. My name is Kate and I've been involved with SAGE probably for about two years and I'm from New Jersey. It's, it's very interesting because you, would, you come and you, a group gets together and you meet people that you would not normally meet that perhaps you, you feel like you might not have anything in common with and then you sit down you go on a walk or you go on different tours and it's for any gender and you just wind up meeting wonderful people we email each other we talk to each other and we see each other at, at different events so I, I love it hi my name is bill wasneski i've been active in sage by doing walks for our members we walk uh, in the metropolitan area several times during the month and we just try to bring our members out into a more active environment Quite often you're in New York City and you pass by these things and you go to events at Radio City Music Hall or you pass by things and you really don't see. And one of the great things about the tour is you, things are pointed out that you would normally walk by day in, day in and day out. So that's, that's one of the benefits because it's, it's educational and it kind of gives you a different level of the beauty that's available in the city. Several other activities of the organization. We have a drop-in center where members come and go. We have coffee, light refreshments for them, and you can socialize with other members. We also have an opera group. We have a movie group. We have a book club, which meets on a regular basis. So there are many different activities for the members of SAGE. And it gives you a chance to meet different people from different backgrounds, from different social levels. And there's a camaraderie that we can all be together under one roof without any bias. Members of SAGE speaking to us after their visit to Radio City Music Hall. The SAGE website can be found at sageusa.org. That's S-A-G-E-U-S-A dot org. New Yorkers are living longer and, in many cases, healthier lives. If you want proof, visit the Hebrew Home for the Aged in the Riverdale section of the Bronx. More than 20 centenarians live there. I spoke to one of them. My name is Molly Harris. I am 102 years old. I was born in 1904-77. This is my lucky year. Three sevens. 
everybody wants to know, Molly, how do you live until 102 years old? I did a lot of things that I wasn't supposed to do. <laughs> I like to eat things like bologna and garlic and salami, and I like to take a little drink every once in a while. But actually, I think I kept myself very, very busy. I did a lot, a lot of community work, and I think that's what kept me going. And the thing that really saved me in trouble was I loved music and reading. What kind of music do you like? Well, I love opera. earliest recollection is my mother introducing me to opera. But after that, I liked all kinds of music, jazz music. I like music. What kinds of things do you like to read? Well, when I was young, my mother used to censor my books. She used to say, don't select a book because you like the name. Get to know your authors. But as I grew older, I was fed up with reading all the good writers. I started to read mysteries, and today I still enjoy a good mystery. Where did you grow up? I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and for about the last 70-some years, I'm living in New York. Where in New York did you live? Well, for a short time, I lived in Brooklyn when I was first married. But most of my life, I lived in the Bronx. And I love Manhattan. If I was a little bit wealthier, I would live in Manhattan. It has so much to offer. The city's glamour can never spoil The dreams of a boy and girl I would imagine that you've seen a lot of change in New York City. I take a subway for five cents, which can ride back and forth. And there's so many changes. You go to theater, I go to the opera, I get into the opera for 50 cents. And if we pay $2, we get the best seats in the uh, opera. And then at Lincoln Center, I watched Lincoln Center grow up. And I just loved going there. You mentioned your husband. When did you get married? I was married in the 19, 1925. And how long were you married? 67 years. And he wasn't good to me because... I wanted to hold out to 75, and he left me when we were married 67 years. You lived through a lot in your life, many wars even. I even have an early recollection of World War I. And what I can't forget, at those days when one of the boys would be killed, 
they would put a star in their window in their home. And I remember I was going to the low grade school, and every time I'd see another star in a window, I, I, till this day I can't forget how I felt. You've seen so much. What mistakes do you think the country has made looking back on it? I think the country has made more mistakes than I can enumerate. And I think that we started to see a little life when Roosevelt came into office. I think I know that he was instrumental in making life better for my parents and better for myself, too. And I think for a lot, a lot of people. Why'd you like Roosevelt? Well, no kin. Why'd you like Roosevelt? Well, no kin. Why'd you like Roosevelt? Well, no kin. Lord God to mighty was a poor man's friend. Year of 1945, a good president laid down and died. I knew how all of the poor people felt. They received the message with lost Roosevelt. What would you say has been your favorite era? I really can't say which my favorite because I lived through so many horrible things. I lived through the terrible depression and everything after that seems good. What was New York City like at that time? Oh, it didn't matter if you were a white color, color worker. If you were any kind of a professor, my husband was unemployed. He was at that time, he was a bookkeeper. Brother, can you spare a dime? Luckily, I didn't want to go to schooling after public, but I took business college a year of typing and shorthand. And I went to work in Sears Roebuck, and I hated it. And I say, luckily, I loved dressmaking. And during all the depression, I was always to find a little something to do, make a few dollars with my knowledge of dressmaking. And during the depression, my husband, he sold apples for five cents an apple. When he brought 15 cents in, he was so happy. I was able to buy an orange and an egg. And the next day, for 15 cents, I could buy milk and bread. And that's how bad it was. Buddy, can you spare a So much has changed with technology, too, through the oh. years. Radio, and then we saw television. I remember seeing the first automobile, and I was frightened. I thought some, something creeping along the road. And my husband was up in the first airplane. I remember the air, the radio, where we had a, a, a matchbox, and we had little wires, and when we got a little peep, oh, we thought that this was it, the world was perfect. Well, we, we got the radio. I remember when we got our first Victrola. I remember when we didn't have electricity. And we were, my parents were about the first to get electricity. You can't imagine a world that I was brought up in. 
I lived through a Spanish influenza where people were lying on the ground. They didn't have burial place for them. Luckily, my mother made us wear garlic around our neck. So evidently that saved us. What do you think of the things we have today, like the computers and the cell phones? Well, that's where I, <laughs> I guess I'm different because I know that in certain cases, the cell phone is important, but in a lot of cases, I can't see it. I think people misuse them. And the computer, I think, is a very, very important thing. The computer, I think, is an asset to our society. If you can go back and do one thing over again, what would it be? I'd like to be 18 years old. <laughs> I'd dance and flirt and run to Atlantic City. Molly, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to know you. Molly Harris is 102 years young. She lives at the Hebrew Home for the Aged in Riverdale. The U.S. Census Bureau projects there will be more than a million centenarians in the U.S. by 2050. Right now, there are about 80,000. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. My thanks to producer Jody Avergan. As always, you can find archives of Cityscape at WFUV.org. You can also learn how to podcast the show there. I'm George Boldarki. Have a great weekend. <laughs>